people come in, they have to put on this mask of like high performing, talented. But what happens when you're struggling? What happens when you got family members hurting, sick, dying, and you're supposed to come to work like none of that matters. I gotta just focus on the product that I'm creating. And I think oftentimes we miss out on deep connections because people are, they're either afraid, there's no psychological safety to talk about it, or sometimes they feel like no one would even care. So, and this is work. I gotta keep my personal and my work separate but it ends up hurting work performance. We, and we see it all over the place that the personal stuff bleeds into the work stuff. And then companies have to figure out how to rehire and new hires because they never let humans deal with the human stuff while they were at work. Welcome to the Best Self-Management Podcast. I'm David Hassel. And I'm Shane Metcalf. Me and David have been working together along with our co-founder, Nazar, and all the amazing other people that are a part of 15.5 for the last seven years. And we are not the same people that we were seven years ago. One of the things we're a big stand for is like, how do we actually embrace the whole person and understand that can we support someone in thriving in their whole life? And if we do, then they're probably going to contribute more at work. Your mission is to attract the best talent, retain your high performers, and maximize everyone's potential. Welcome to the Best Self Management Podcast. I'm Shane Metcalf. And I'm David Hassel. We're really excited today to welcome Ashanti Branch to the show. Ashanti works to change how young men of color interact with their education and how their schools interact with them. Raised in Oakland by a single mother on welfare, Ashanti left the inner city to study civil engineering at Cal Poly, San Luis Obispo. In 2004, during Ashanti's first year teaching high school math, he started the Ever Forward Club to provide support for African-American and Latino males who are not achieving their potential. Since then, Ever Forward has helped all of its more than 150 members graduate from high school, and 93% of them have gone on to attend two or four-year colleges, military, or trade school. And I also want to talk about your TEDx talk that really made a big impact on me and that I think is something I'd love to dive into as well, somewhat ironically about the masks we wear. And I think you did that in like 2018 or something, right? And yeah. like little did you know that masks would become a big thing. Yeah, and the one I did into in Oakland, TEDx Oakland, it was actually during the last set of fires. Oh, and wow. uh, I was talking about the AQI. I did some research on the AQI and all these particles in the air that you can't see. And so it was really amazing. And, and, and the fact that we're telling people take off the mask, but in the sense that we're not talking about the personal protection, you know, we're talking about yeah. this metaphorical mask that we've been wearing probably a lot of times. So yeah, it's always a uh, tricky. I had one uh, conference organizer say, I need you to change the title of your talk uh, because it's polarizing. I'm like, oh what? <laughs> and so I realized that, oh, we're talking about different masks now for real, for real. And so, yeah, it's a new, uh, a new mask world. We were joking just a moment ago about you getting picked up by some like right wing anti-maskers and, you know, how easy it would. I'm sure we can find the right sound clip in your TED talk and reframe your entire brand right now. <laughs> hey, it'll, make, it'll make us go viral. So maybe we got to just go viral one way or the other, you know? <laughs> right. So, so, Ashanti, I'd love to hear just a little bit of your thoughts on how, how you connect the, the work you're doing with young black and Latino males and the idea of the psychological masks that we wear and then kind of the intersection of those two big ideas that you're working with. Yeah, you know, um, when we first did the activity, the, the mask activity, we were featured in a documentary called The Mask You Live In. And the masculine was about American masculinity and how this hyper-masculine narrative of being a man is really hurting our boys. And so what happened through that work, I was working with some young men in Oakland, actually at my alma mater, Fremont High School. And what ends up happening is I knew that these young men were not going to open up because I've been working with them for months. And when we come to check in, they're just, a t everybody's a 10. Everybody's a on a scale from one to 10, one is the worst, 10 is the best. Everybody's a 10. And I'm like, no, you're not. I'm sorry. Um, because when we're in my office one-on-one, -on -one, we get to the heart of the stuff. But in front of each other, they're all masking up. They're all putting uh -huh. on this facade, right? And so the reason I came up with the activity, I was like, well, if you're going to come film us, I want you to see th at least something meaningful. And they were like, well, if they're going to resist, at least we'll record the resistance. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm glad you want to record resistance. Mm. But what ended up happening was I asked them, uh, I said, let me just try this. So don't talk about it. Just write it. 
And what we found is with that activity, with just writing three words on the front and then three words on the back, that we recognized that man, they, were, they were all going through the same stuff. They were all lying to each other to, to, because they had a show they had to put on. And what we see with young men all over, and we, and we do work in all schools, but our clubs are young men, mostly young men are un, underserved schools because these are the kids who are just like, I don't want to be in high school. Like, I don't want to be in school. Like, I hate school. School sucks. But what we begin to learn is they got goals. They got dreams. It's just nobody in those schools have found a way to connect to them. It's even mm. see them for who they really are outside of not being a good writer, not being a good math person, not being like not. If schools only measure you by your academic abilities and never highlight the fact that you may be a translator for your family at home, you may be responsible for siblings. You may take care of adults. You may cook and clean. And you may be taking care of your household, but yet you don't do math well. So since that's how they measure you at school, you would think that you're you're not good at anything. It's interesting tying that back to the conversation around how the subconscious brain is always cataloging. This is a win or this is a loss. That's right. And our self-esteem then is basically an amalgamation of what's the tally? What's our subconscious tally of am I a loser or am I a winner? Yeah. And when the entire academic system is set up to measure along those lines, it's like, it's so easy to be a loser. I mean, I know like for, for me, it's like there was such a deep internal identity as a failure that I've needed to heal and overcome in order to, to have a bigger vision for my life. Yeah. And imagine if that's what, if at home, no one sees how brilliant you are at school, your grades don't show how brilliant you are, but you got some talents inside of you, then you could be totally walking through the world, believing that I'm, I don't matter. And I think, and we see that's it all tragic. the time. It is tragic. It's tragic. It's that quiet desperation, you know? I actually want to tie this back. We just had uh, Joseph McClendon on the on the podcast, and he was saying that you know in organizations, one of the one of the things that he really advocates for is leaders trying to ask and understand what do people really want, not just in work but in their lives, and then tying that you know because I think there's a lot of people who go to work, they compartmentalize what they do uh, with a set of skills or whatnot, but it's really not necessarily connected in a, in a larger story to what they really want. People find themselves in, in the wrong career or, the, or focusing on things just to make money and trading their life for a paycheck. And I, I think there's, there's, a, there's an analog there, you know, with these kids in school, being at school and, and having goal, hopes and dreams and goals, but not seeing how it connects to the schoolwork and the same thing in companies. And I think that's something that I'm, I, I'm curious to learn from what you were able to shift in that realm and what our, you know, our listeners can learn from that in terms of how to create that similar dynamic in, in the workplace. You know, when I first started Ever Forward, I was a first year teacher. I was failing. I was doing a horrible job. I wasn't trying to start a nonprofit. Like I didn't even know what nonprofits were. The only reason I began the process of nonprofit is because a potential donor said, you need to get this 501c3 thing. And I'm like, well, how do you do that? And she told me where to go get the packet. And I'm like, that's a book I got to write. How do I, how do I do that? You know, I'm teaching full time. I'm doing ever forward in the evenings. It just didn't seem like it fit. But what I realized was that in those lunches that we were having with young men, we, I invited young men to lunch. That's how ever forward started. I said, look, teach me how to be a better teacher. I'll buy you lunch once a week because I had smart young men in my class who were failing. And the only reason I could see it in them is because that's who I was in middle school. I was smart, but I was, I had to act a fool because the people who I hung out with Smart wasn't cool. So you can't be no nerd if you hang around with people who are anti-nerd. So therefore, you ain't ever going to catch me doing no good stuff. Now, the the, the tricky part was math was easy for me. So I would do math super fast and turn the paper in, and then I would goof off for the rest of the period because I could pretend. Now, I helped my friends with their math, but what what I began to do is when I saw these young men in my classes who were like brilliant, oh my gosh, I'm like, dude, you're so smarter than I was at your age. Like, why are you coming here goofing off every day? I knew it was more than what I could see. And I think that's the same thing with companies, right? Like people come in, they have to put on this mask of like high-performing, talented. But what happens when you're struggling? What happens when you got family members hurting, sick, dying, and you're supposed to come to work? Like none, none of that matters. I got to just focus on the product that I'm creating. And I think oftentimes we miss out on deep connections because people are they're either afraid, there's no psychological safety to talk about it. Or sometimes they feel like no one would even care. So, and this is work. I got to keep my personal and my work separate. But it ends up 
hurting work performance. I think we, we see it all over the place that the personal stuff bleeds into the work stuff. And then companies have to figure out how to rehire and new hires because they never let humans deal with the human stuff uh, yeah. while they were at work. I think 2020 officially just destroyed the wall, the like imaginary wall that we had between the idea of like, we have work and then we have life. And that, that just crumbled before our very eyes. And I think that that's part of the chaos is these, these separate pieces of our identity have, have merged and are uncomfortably forced to be more integrated. You know, and it's interesting because I think it's an accelerant. Like COVID is an accelerant for companies to start allowing more of our humanity back in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of our listeners are like chief people officers, heads of HR, senior managers. And so why should they encourage people to take off the psychological masks inside of our company cultures? You know, I think that's an interesting balance between encouraging people to do that and having a culture that that is okay, mm. right? Because if you come in my office and I see you're struggling, I can say, hey, well, tell me what's really going on. But if the culture of the company is not safe to tell you that I'm having these thoughts, I'm not going to tell you. And if you somehow break me into like telling you, and now it affects my work because you now look at me badly because it's not a safe place. You just, you wanted to know what was going on. Well, why are you showing a blade every day? Well, I got these things going on. I see there's one way of like saying, tell me what's happening that I can't see. And another as creating the culture that says it's safe to be fully human and not perfect here. And I think that is the nuance there. But I think what we try and say to these leaders is, look, first, we have to begin building the community that says we are humans here having this human experience. And every day we're not doing great. But when we are we can support others who may not have the great day. And so when we create the mask activity, and that's why we started doing it outside of our work with just a students because adults do it too. Parents do it to their own children, right? Parents are like, I got a job, I got money, I'm perfect. I want to make you the most perfect specimen you can be. So they don't even tell their kids when they're struggling with stuff. So how does a kid ever learn to deal with challenges or problems? Because the parents are only telling them how to not make the mistake. And the kids know their parents are full of shit. Like the kids know everything, you know, they know what's going on. Kids are way smarter than the parents. Yeah. But, but imagine if your parents were good enough at hiding all their problems. I mean, you heard, yeah. you see, I mean, movies are built on that, right? They're at dinner, everyone's having food and all of a sudden the parents are like, Hey, we got something to tell you. And the kids are shocked. Right. I mean, you imagine that sometimes they, they're so good at their masks that you can hide stuff until it hits the breaking point. Yeah, and then the shock comes out of it. So I agree. There, there are definitely parents who are not pulling it over wool over their kids' eyes, but some of them are really good at it. So they, they, they've gotten really professional at. I'm doing very well, and I think with teachers the same. We tell teachers, look, if you go into a classroom, I got kids who are struggling. If this kid is goofing off, is it because he really doesn't like to learn, or that he has some, he can't read, or that he didn't have breakfast this morning, or that? He didn't see something traumatic over the weekend that he's trying to just erase from his replay. Like, why do we define his behavior as not wanting to be an academic as opposed to, man, there's some stuff probably going on that I don't even know about. And if I can begin building the relationship, like, hey, I I didn't trust many teachers. There was only one teacher who I began to, like, build a relationship with. And she was an English teacher. And I hated English. So imagine that. I hated her class, but I liked her. And I knew that she saw me. And she cared about me. And so I think it's like, if you know somebody cares about you, even if there's some kind of tension in that connection, it can, it can go really well if, if you're, if the heart, if the heart's in the right place, I think, you know? Yeah. I'd be curious, you know, to understand more about, you know, what are some of the transformations that you've seen in this work? You know, we're all probably sitting here, most people listening probably have an intuition that, you know, it's better in schools, if people can take off their masks, it's better for the kids. It's better for you know their path. It's it's. I assume we all probably intuitively know it's better to be in a company where people are taking off their masks. But I want to add some you know maybe some create some color around that. Like, what is the consequence of an organization that doesn't create the psychological safety that allows people to really show up as themselves? And what's possible if they do? You know, one of the things that we we learn when we do in like professional development is that. Teachers who are professionals, 
who come to deliver a product to students who work together for years don't even know each other. Mm. So there's teachers, adults, whose parents are dying and they come to work trying to pretend like nothing is matter, but it start, it slips out. It, it, it spills on the kids, like it, some yelling outbursts and whatever. But imagine if that teacher knew that at lunch they had a colleague who they could talk about what they're really going through. I think it's, it's that space of saying, I don't have to do this alone. I'm an adult. I'm responsible. I have to do a certain job. But man, how much easier is it to carry this load if somebody is just checking in on you once in a while? Hey, how things going? But if no one knows, all day long, you're operating in these proverbial masks, right? Where you say, oh, everything's great. My kids are doing fantastic. My, oh, I got this test coming up with my students. Like everything becomes transactional. And the same thing with the relationships. And so I'm going to speak about one young man in particular. And I think I'm trying to go back between adults and young people because we do a lot of work with adults. Um, he was on his way to high school, about to start high school. Imagine, if you're, think back to your freshman year of high school. And um, he lost his mom, like, like literally in August, early August. And he was in our program in middle school. So when I heard about it, I reached out. He didn't want to talk. He didn't want to talk. He didn't want to talk. He didn't want to talk for months. Took him about six or seven months finally when he was willing to say, hey, you got some time we can chat? I'm like, absolutely. Now, I love my mom. I'm a, I'm a mama's boy. Actually, I'm a self-proclaimed mama's boy. I, I really love my mom. And <laughs> at 13 years old, I couldn't have imagined losing her. But when this kid doesn't want to talk, like, and I asked him over and over again, hey, let, let's check in. I'm good. I'm fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. Imagine what that happens with other people. You check in with them. Hey, how you doing? I think something's going on. They're like, no, I'm good. How many times do you go back? Because if you're intuitive enough and you see something's going on with somebody, how many times would you check back with somebody when they're saying, no, I'm good, I'm fine? You may check back once or twice and say, okay, I'm done. I tried. But I knew that there was something. I, I, I intuitively knew. I didn't 100% knew, but intuitively, I knew that this young man was going through it. And so I just kept planting seeds. Hey, man, I just want to check in with you every other week, making a call, calling his grandmother, checking in. And I think that it, it took him finally to build enough trust that that I, I could hold space for him, that he finally was like, hey, you got time to chat. And I'll never forget that call because he had not been processing it. And, you know, unfortunately, <laughs> this young man just graduated high school. He's on his way to college. Like he's about to start his freshman year in college. And last week, his grandmother passes. So his next in line guardian on his way to this next transition part in life. Like I couldn't write a story that hurts me so much, but I, but I reach out to him every other day. We haven't gotten together, you know, to check in face to face or at least six feet apart, but he knows that I'm checking in with him. I'm trying to just send him motivational thoughts and just positivity because man, like it could feel overwhelming, right? Like, on these new transitions to life, to about to do great things or new big things, something tragic happens. And sometimes people feel like, oh, I'm too much. So I, people can't, people don't want to hear all my problems. And so they don't talk about it. And I believe that we, that's the opposite of what we need to do. I think we need to have a space to talk about it. So that's what we try and do. And, that, and that's a, a young man's story, but he's now a man. Well, he's 18, but you know, he's in his young man age, right? And I think that with adults, it's similar. Like if we don't believe that anybody will listen or, or care yeah. and we just, we bottle it up. You know, I mean, I think of like my own resistance, like with my wife, you know, we've been together 10 years and there's still a way that if I'm hurting, like, and she checks in, I might not tell her the truth at first. I'm like, no, I'm fine. But I'm desperately wanting her to like smash down the wall. It's almost like a test of like, like I def I'll deflect you once or twice. And, oh, you just turned away and walked around, you know, walked away. Oh, I knew it. You failed. You failed to break down my walls. And I, what I really want is I want her to like grab me and be like, tell me what the fuck is going on with you. <laughs> and that's where that's mm -hmm. like, it breaks through my own defenses and my own armor and, and on my heart. Yeah. And, you know, I think that there is a way that, you know, and like the business world is is interesting, right? Because there's there needs to be a lot of respect to people's personal boundaries. But I think that we're really being invited to care more, to love our people more, yeah. to actually forcefully, 
want to actually be invested in the well-being of the humans that are collaborating with us. And imagine and imagine that, like, because at work, I had one man in one of our workshops say, it gets exhausting, right? Because at work, I got to come in with this mask. And when I go home, I got this one. And then my sports stuff, I have this. And I think this idea of constantly having to remember, okay, no, here, I can only talk about these things. And over here, right. I can talk about these things. And to try and keep compartmentalizing who our outside selves and our inside selves, even teenagers recognize the exhaustion in it. And I think the example you gave about your wife, right? Does she know, like imagine any relationship, do they know that you actually want them to ask more? Are they making up a story about your body language and say, well, he wants to be left alone. And so how do we even know what people want? Because maybe the way we've been taught is that, oh, they don't want to talk about it. No one wants to talk about their stuff, so leave it alone. Imagine if we knew that people cared about each other in a really deep, heartfelt way. I mean, imagine how many times you ask somebody in passing how you're doing. And you don't even stop for them to answer because you only really give them time to say, I'm good. I'm cool. I'm fine. Right. Well, you know, it's interesting, too, because it's not like I'm always clear what I actually want in that moment. Like I'm hurting. And yeah, get away. I don't want to talk to you. You know, like so there's these competing parts. And so it's it's like I am accountable for making sure that I take my mask off and I open my heart and let let her in. And also, I want her to really show that that she wants to know. And so it's super confusing and it's not easy it's not an easy thing to be a human learning how to like embrace vulnerability as a strength. I wouldn't be a part of 155 if I hadn't taken off a mask I really didn't want to take off. Hmm. Which was like basically telling a, a community of friends that I was like crazy ass broke, like destitute and it was like the last thing I wanted to do. And then it was it was because I actually took that mask off. Somebody was like, "Oh, let's work on that together. I want to help you." And that led me to a conversation with this dude. And like, here I am, ten years later, like a tech founder. And I'm like, "What the hell happened?" <laughs> you know, it's just like, like, and so I, I have a really deep love for the idea of of taking masks off in companies. And in a way, I, when we started the company, it was like, "Oh man, like." the liberation of not having to wear a mask is why I didn't have a job for like six years. And so can we build a company where the default is, is that it's safe to be human right? to tell some of our story. I want to talk directly to you listening in for just a moment. If you're enjoying these interviews, the concepts we discuss and you're committed to equipping your managers to develop highly engaged and high performing teams, there's some additional resources that we know can help. Access the forever free best self management certification at 155.com forward slash academy for core management skills that unfortunately are not taught in business school. Visit 155.com forward slash services to sign up for our manager accelerator program to reorient your managers around the essential skills needed to conduct effective one-on-ones, offer meaningful feedback, and coach their teams to greatness. If you want exceptional software that integrates beautifully with our education and training, visit 155.com today. I think it's important to recognize that, you know, the, the, the masks themselves come from a it, it's self-preservation, right? It is the illusion of safety. And in fact, maybe it is actually safety in certain situations. Like Ashanti, you said, you know, these, these kids, it's not cool to be a nerd. So I got I to gotta hide that because it's not safe. Um, you know, I mean, psychologically safe to be certain ways in certain communities. So, you know, I think there's this, you know, we have to understand that even if we as company leaders create an enormous amount of psychological safety and acceptance and we train all of our managers to be that way, our people are still going to have that resistance that they have to overcome from within to even go there. And so there has to be, you know, this invitation. And I, I think we're doing a good job of it. And I'm always interested in just learning more distinctions and perspectives around that. So your work is so important. Oh, man. Uh, something interesting, I want to just drop in right here. Um, so this happened maybe two weeks ago. So in July, I contracted the COVID-19. Oh, wow. Um, my mom had it and... I wear masks everywhere, literally. Like I got them in my pocket. I got them in, two of them in my car. Like I'm, I take this thing really serious. And so 
I, I got it in July, um, recovered, thank goodness. And I was on a podcast the other day and I was talking about this idea, like, like when it happened, like I was all so weak, I was whatever. And then I had an intern send me a text because we have this very open communication company, right? So, and they were like, I mean, we're a small team, but it's an intern, right? And he said, oh, it's your fault the reason I got COVID. And it was a blame, it was a blame email, right? A blame text. And I'm really careful with long text already because when it's, if, it, if, it, if I got to scroll more than two times, I'm like, I don't know if I'm ready for this, right? But, <laughs> but, <laughs> Those are my favorite texts and emails to get is the blame ones. Oh, uh, and I really felt like this person was was hurt, was hurting. They felt like you know this thing had come, and I and I was I got into defensive mode, right? I got into like, how dare you blame me? Like, I, I didn't even know I had it. I didn't see it. Like how. All the things that is just in my head were like, I care about people so much and like I would never put anybody in harm's way. And so imagine if you created a culture where people knew they could come talk to you, even if what you said was totally wrong, right? That there was some space to have a conversation. And I think that that's, I'm still kind of feeling some of that text, residual text, right? I, I think I knew that it's not a text conversation. So that's where I started with. But also I realized that, you know, even with what's happening in our world, right? Like once you have it, people are like, hmm, I'm not sure if I'll, let me go 12 feet from you. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like whatever the whatever their brains tell them or however they react to it, I really had to take some breaths because I was like, and I remember the first text I wrote was swayed. To, I was like, yeah, I can't send that one. So I like edited it three, four times. I'm like, let's not do this over the text. You know, I think I want to talk. But um, but I say that just to say in communities where if you thought somebody was at fault for something and you couldn't say it because you were worried that, okay, you're you're talking bad about me. You're, go, you're fired or you're out of here. I think those are, it's hard to create because somebody has to take it in. Like, mm. When the employees are willing to say that they're struggling with stuff, okay, now somebody has to, maybe you don't have to fix it, but somebody has to at least hold space for that. Acknowledge it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. At the very least, don't punish your people for telling the truth. Yes. I think it's a wound of hierarchy that we've all inherited as humans. Is it like we have a long history of people above us or below us, and it's, it's about control. And we need to control information. And you don't tell the truth to the layer of hierarchy above you because you will be punished. You will be fired. You will be, it will be used against you. And so how do we bring back that level of, of, hey, actually, you don't work for me. I work for you. And so I can only help you if I know what's going on. And it works the other way. You know, there's a lot of company leaders who are not transparent with their people. And, and again, it, it all comes from, from fear, right? And I think that there's always this, it feels like the, the pattern with, with vulnerability, which leads to trust and, and taking those masks off, always start with overcoming some fear and resistance to be a little bit vulnerable and then being like, oh my God, nothing bad happened. In fact, now I have a stronger relationship and then you do it again. And I think that that's the upward cycle that we can create if we create enough kind of safety around that. And I agree with you, Shane. I mean, that that first piece around, um, you know, don't cause negative consequences to people who tell the truth, I think has to be rule number one. People have to know that they're not going to be, not even reprimanded, but acted negatively upon uh, if that happens. And I also think, Shane, we've we've met a lot of leaders who are like, oh my God, well, if I ask for feedback, then I have to do all this stuff. So I'm not even going to ask. And and that too, I think the the antidote to that, Ashanti, is what you said. It's like you don't always have to act on everything. In fact, you probably shouldn't, but you do have to be willing to acknowledge it. Yeah, I think most people want to be just heard, right? That's right. I mean, they want to be heard. They want to be acknowledged. I think they, yep. there's there's this line. So I don't know who says it, but it says like, um, "Soldiers die for it, and babies cry for it." Right? Just to be recognized, right? And to be, and I think that we just have a, such a need. Uh, especially now when people are feeling so far away from each other, maybe even spatially to know that, okay. And imagine now if you felt something was going wrong at your place of work. I mean, in this high unemployment rate in our country, do I, do I say something or do I keep it to myself? Do I, is it safe to say something? 
this can can my job withstand this truth that I may have? And so you imagine how many more masks have to be created to now just bite your tongue. Don't say nothing because I'm just glad to have a job, right? And all the layers that go with that. Oh, yeah. Well, and also, yeah, the, the complexity, right? Because we do have so many stresses. This is not an easy time to try to be a, a functional human being. It's a lot. And, and I don't think it's going to slow down. I think we're in for a continually tumultuous decade. And so, like, learning how to not take things personally, right? You know, because, like, there might be, in, in the attempt to be heard and acknowledged, there might come with some anger and blame. And it's really easy to get into, like, as a leader, to get defensive and not be like, oh, this person's, like you were talking about, of like, oh, this person's hurting. Can I actually drop into empathy here? So, so I'm really curious, like, what's your tool belt look like? What are the different techniques and games and ways that you help create a culture where our humanity is welcomed? Well, you know, um, the activity that we do around the world, the Million Mask Movement, is really asking people to, with one picture and six words, to explore, like, here's a part of myself that I'm letting people see, and here's a part of myself that I don't talk about, the behind the mask. So three words for the front and three words for the back. And we've collected, I'm looking at the wall right there, we collected over 40, close to 45,000 masks from 16 countries. And what we see wherever we are, and most of our masks are from here in the U.S., but that these masks are what kind of keeps us away from this deeper connection with people, right? So if you believe that you're the only one going through it, then I better not talk about it in this space, you know? So what we, all of our team on a regular basis, when, when cards come in the mail, we look at them. Like when they, as people mail them to us, email them to us, they could go on our digital platform. Because the goal is to become empathetic to understanding that, man, this is like my mask. Like these words match similar to what I, this person is from way over a different place, a different city, different country, but I recognize this stuff. And I think all of our meetings start with check-ins. You know, even when we have a quick impromptu meeting, like it always, even if it's a one minute check-in, it's always check-ins. Now we have a small team, so you know, we can do that. But I think for well, us, no, and I mean, I, I, you know, we're about 200 people and that's like check-ins are a deep part of the culture because it needs to, you need that chance to reveal the internal state. Yeah. And I think that imagine that, imagine the people, like when people are new to our team, they'll check in for like 20 seconds and people are looking at them like, you know, you got another minute and 40 seconds, right? <laughs> and and you, everyone can always pass, but you're like, and they'll just be like, oh, I can say more. Well, you're like, yeah, you can. You got the, the minute The minute and a half is yours to do whatever you need to do. And I think that those are the things that kind of become ritual, right? And sometimes if I'm in a hurry, I'm like, hey, let's have a quick meeting. And then somebody will always say, I, I'm, I'm in my mind not thinking about a check-in. Like, I'm thinking, I just want to ask a couple of questions. I want to get some information. I want to give out some information. And somebody will say, are we doing check-ins? I'm like, yep, <laughs> right? Like, right? I mean, like, it's kind of like this idea that sometimes people need it even if the leaders are not thinking about it. And to have a space where people can say, are we doing a check-in? Are we get, are we going to get present? And it, and it can look, you know, whatever amount of time you create. So that's one of our main ones. The mask is a big one. Do you um, ever uh, guide the check-in like with a prompt, you know, like so that it's like a specific angle of the check-in? Yeah, we do it different ways. When we, if a team, with, when we do it with students, mostly students is a lot of directed because, um, but with the team, it's, you know, sometimes it's like, just check in about how your weekend was. But sometimes I just think that it's important for everyone to like, here's where I'm at right now. When I'm coming yeah. to this meeting, I'm coming from weekend stuff, five phone call 20 minutes ago stuff. I'm coming from, and to know that if I, if I crafted too much, then you may not get to like bring to the table what you're carrying so that we're wondering why you're moving at a certain pace. Well, because you're worried about your mom, but the check-in was about, perform, you know, your check-in was about this thing. And then no one knows that you're, you're worried about your mom or your, or your loved one. Right. So I think, yeah, we do it both ways. We have sometimes where we'll have like, do a check-in and then answer this prompt question. Right. Cause we want to relieve some room for just 
dropping in to the space, you know? Um, and I would say, you know, we try and do like things with our meetings that sometime a meeting is like, we're doing dream boards today. Like we're, we're really like, I want the team to know that as much as I'm so glad they're here to help us achieve this mission and goal, I want to be mindful of what their ultimate goals and dreams are. So that if I get an email about something, if I hear about something, I can connect them to resources and people who are like trying to do what they want to do. And I think that it's sometimes scary, right? It's like, I don't want to lose you. <laughs> you're you're amazing. But ultimately, I know that they're not mine. I, I just get the opportunity to to build with them in this season. And if I can help somebody achieve that thing they want to achieve, if that means I have to like, you know, find a new person, then I have to do that. But I think I want to do what I do for the young men, help them achieve their potential. I want to do the same thing for the people on our team. And I think when yeah. people feel like they're cared about, that you care about them more is just a cog in the wheel of getting things done for your organization. But as a person, I think they, I think they appreciate it. And I, uh, that's what I found. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, that's the core of the whole ethos behind best self-management of what we're doing here is this, this idea that, you know, when you actually, when you actually as a leader go beyond the abstraction of, you know, your, your people as lines on a spreadsheet or, you know, replaceable parts of the machine that you're building and you actually say, okay, no, I'm, I'm, I'm stewarding this group of human lives to come together and create something really special. And I actually care about each person individually. It, it does, it shifts something really in, in a profound way. Um, and uh, so cool to see that you're, you know, practicing best self-management under whatever name you call it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it feels good. And I think, you know, it's been hard. Like I didn't start when I, when I told you, I, I didn't plan this starting, trying to start a nonprofit. There was no business plan. It was a teacher having lunch with students. And yeah. then, so when I talk to other leaders who are trying to start organizations, I'm like, are you sure you want to start an organization? Like you, because I, I think that, that those questions are really big, right? And like, and if you want to build something really big, then I think that people have to be at the forefront of. I, sure. I, oh, you know what? Something I think about the other day, because we do a lot of work with schools. Schools I've seen in my experience, and as a teacher, as an administrator, as a student, they spend so little money on professional development. They would rather have a new teacher, second year, come in who's super passionate, in charge of professional development for 10, 12, 15, 20 year teachers as opposed to investing in their people. And I'm like, well, yeah, in most schools, students are the first primary importance. And most schools treat it like that, but they don't take care of the people who need to take care of the students. Hmm. And so you have teachers who are not even feeling appreciated. How are they going to create world-class learning environments? How are they going to create innovative learning when they don't feel like the, even the, the leadership likes them? let alone cares about them, you know? It's the perfect analogy to managers in a company. You know, if, if you're not investing in your managers, if managers don't feel like leadership cares about them, how are they going to build engaged teams? It just doesn't work like that. That's right. That's right. And I think that, you know, schools can't compete with tech companies and having, you know, snack bars at every corner, but at least you can make sure people know the, the, the birthday, somebody acknowledged them, right? Something like it can be small stuff, but I think it's just appreciation. And I think so many schools lack that. And that's what we've been trying to do is do more work with educators because they're the leaders of our, of our schools um, in so many ways, you know. Ashanti, I'm curious your thoughts on the different challenges that young black and Latino men face in terms of taking off masks than, yeah. you know, young white men. Is it that different? And again, I'm speaking as a white guy who has had my own challenges. But, you know, as we're, I think, trying to, especially as white men, we're trying to become a little more empathetic to the differences of what it is to be black than it is to be white. Would love to hear, you know, your thoughts on like, well, what needs to be, what do we need to hold in our consideration in creating safe environments for people of color to take off their masks. If we have that is already kind of going in our culture, but like what more is needed? And of course, I don't, I know you don't, you can't speak for all black men, but like, you know, from your experience, I'm, I'm really curious on that. Yeah, no, thank you for the question. I think, uh, and I was just, I was actually going to say that I, I ultimately can't speak for it, but here's what I've experienced in my research and in my observations. I think that whether I'm in a private school in Marin or I'm in East Oakland in a heartland school, those masks are hard to come off. And the more that you believe that people around you 
are perfect, it becomes even harder if yeah. you feel like you need to fit into that perfect model. And so what I've seen, I've seen young men in Oakland, in the urban area, Latino, African-American males come to a room, 25 of them, and everyone's like, you got the cool, you know, as a teacher, you know, you start learning how to preserve what, okay, this kid got a lot of, you know, social clout in here. And if I can't enroll that one, then everything goes south. And whether I'm in Marin at a private school where the kids pay $50,000 per year for education, you hear, you see the same stuff. You just see fancier shell, right? right? But the same stuff, okay? That kid got a lot of social clout. Everyone's looking to how that student's gonna show up in the room. And even though it's a different environment, different city, even different maybe age groups, it's the same stuff. And so what, we, what we've created, and then I'll speak for African-American Latino males, if you know that there is a space to get real, and, and in the documentary, when that activity worked, I didn't know it was gonna work. I was hoping and by not making them talk about it, because our society says men are not supposed to show feelings. So what if you feel somebody hurts your feelings? Like, what, how do you say that as a man to another man or to anybody? I think you hurt, you hurt my feelings when you said that. I don't think I've ever said, I had, a, I had a bouncer at a club once tell me that I hurt his feelings. And I didn't even know how to respond. This is before, this is before I had done my own healing work. I was like, uh, what, what did I do? Like, uh, you know, I felt bad. But I had never heard it before. I had never heard somebody say that out loud. And I was like, I mean, I still remember that man. I can't remember what he looks like with it today. Because I was like, that was awesome. Like, I didn't know that I was doing anything out of pocket. Like, but to say it, and if you're a person who cares, who has empathy, you're like, oh, I didn't intend to do that. But where do men get a space to do that? Where do boys get a space to say, mm, right. I'm sad about this? Well, depending on who raised you, my community said, you can't be sad. You can't be afraid. You always got to be tough. You got to be strong. You got to have all the answers. You got to be able to dominate and be in charge. But you never got a chance to be feeling weak. I heard David Chappelle, had, his mom told him this one quote that I've been just using a lot lately because he said, you know, he was very gentle and he was like a lamb. His mom said, sometimes you have to be a lion to be the lamb you really are, right? Like sometimes your community requires you to be like this so that you can find spaces that you can be like, now I cannot worry about how I look or how people are talking about me. It's amazing. The bouncer was, you know, like it just is so contradicts all of our stereotypes <laughs> of a bouncer. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's beautiful. It's beautiful that like probably just like shocked you. Like, wait, what? Bouncers have feelings. Bouncers are humans too. <laughs> and, and the beauty of that, right? Like other people were there and witnessed. Like I was like, I mean, I think that that is what we we so need, right? Mm. We we so need that a space where people can be more human and be more of our true selves, our authentic selves. And I think I I don't know how quickly we make the turn, but I know we got to start with the younger ones. We got to start with that's why we started our work with young men. And now we just had our first men's circle yesterday with. So these are alumni from Ever Forward who were in the program when they were 16. Now they're like in their 29, 30. They're like a men now. And they're realizing, man, we haven't had this kind of circle for years and, and, they, and they're hungry for it. And so we're now building out the space for men. And I think wherever we go, having a space, imagine if you think about who, where can you go? Like if you're having that situation with your wife, but is there a place you can go regularly to like just let it all out? And I think that so many people well, don't. That's, that's a, my men's circle. Nice. You know, it nice. is my guys. There you go. That, you know, it's kind of funny. It's like, yeah, we like, you know, we're a bunch of guys and we get together and talk about our feelings. There you go. That's and beautiful. Yeah. I would be lost without that because that is a, that is a level of depth of, with other guys that I, I can get, I can take off about as deep of the masks of the layers of masks with them as with anywhere in the world. Yeah. And that informs me, right? Because it's like, then I can take off like some portion of masks that work and there's still masks I wear, you know, there's still things that I do, but like, man, I'm so grateful for those guys because there's something I think about, like, because we're so like wounded as men around our feelings that being with other guys there's something that is available in that that isn't available in other contexts. Yeah. As a, like, as a cisgender white guy, that's been my salvation 
is doing more men's work. And it's funny, I don't even talk about doing men's work in the business world. Right. 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 You know, because it's like, whatever, you know, that's kind of my own thing. And that's personal. Yeah. But it deeply informs me around how do we build healthy cultures? Absolutely. I'm glad you said that, really, because what we find is that some companies feel like, well, we don't have the capacity to help people deal with their stuff. So we won't deal with it at all. And I'm saying maybe the company just knows that because we care about wellness, here are some ways, here are some places, here are some resources in the community that you could use to support you. Because I know that if it wasn't for my men's team, I'd feel the same way. Like I, there's a space there that every week I know I, I can, some, some weeks I'm doing great and some weeks I'm not, but I know that I got a space that I can be both of those and be welcome just the same. And I think that some people don't even know that there's a thing like that that exists. So right. imagine if you didn't know yet there was a place that you could find trust and care and be, be, be listened to. And that's what I think people need. And even the workplace can't handle it. It's better for them not to be open. Like I said, open it up and then yeah. making people feel, feel bad or shamed for a feeling, but making sure that the resources are there in those places so that they can get access to it. Well, Ashanti, really rich dialogue. I mean, I think that if we as, as leaders in every aspect of our life, our schools, our communities, our companies, all of the places where we show up as leaders, if, if we can adopt a worldview where vulnerability is strength, where to be the lion, you need to be the lamb. <laughs> you know, you need to actually surrender to gain control that, you know, like what a beautiful world that is. And you know, I think that's why we have a five-star rating or 4.9 on Glassdoor is because we've, we've prioritized this shit. We've said, hey, this is really important. And we try to operationalize it. And if we can get this on a larger scale, I think that is a big piece of the salvation of work being a source of generative life-affirming joy and creativity and genius and not soul-crushing, agonizing torture. You know, one of the things I'm really excited about, and thank you for that last part, because I think that the more we create those kind of environments for more people, then I think that people who are who are bottling it up or who it only comes out in a, a rage of emotion that they know that there's a place to, to deal with it and to have people hear them. I think there's a new movie, right, coming out. I don't know how it's coming out, but about road rage, right? Some I don't even know the, the, the synopsis, but we see it all the time, right? Somebody's going through something, something triggers them, and now I'm turning all this anger, whatever, sadness, fear, whatever, on this person who maybe just didn't put their blinker on, right, or whatever that right. scenario and I think that we see it happening over and over again. And, and those stories don't, don't become shocking. It's not a shocking story. It's like, oh, yeah, we know it exists. But I think that imagine if we, man, had ways of dealing with our stuff in healthy ways so they didn't just come out enraged. And, and I think that, you know, this work is not just for men. I just want to say that. Like our work is, this, the mask is for everyone because I think that everyone in some ways wear them. And I think the more we can become aware the more that we can be have more empathy for each other. So when we meet somebody and we we notice something like, who am I meeting? I think I'm missing something that I don't begin to judge this immediate interaction as, oh, that's how this person is, as opposed to, man, maybe there's something more going on that I can see. One of my jobs at 15.5 is to come up with questions yeah. for us to ask in our own tool. Because it's okay. like basically our platform allows you to ask questions and start dialogue in the whole company. And um I'd love for you to do my job. And, uh, <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm wondering if you could ask a 200-person company yeah. any question, what would you want to ask? Okay. So, okay. So this is, this is a question that, uh, that I'm borrowing from a book I read called Reboot. And the question is, how have you been complicit in the reality that you don't want to see? right now. Mm. Right. And it's not a question of blame. It's a question of this idea of how have I participated in allowing it by not dealing with it or whatever. But it's one of the questions that I've been thinking about a lot since I read that book. And uh, that's a question that I, 
I ask people and some and people don't have anything that's going on in their life. So that answer that question doesn't matter. But for those people who are trying to get through a barrier that is like holding them back from a dream, a goal, a yeah. And is that Jerry Colonna's book? That uh, is, yeah, Jerry yeah, Colonna. Yeah. I'm thinking, you know, like it's uh, September or August 2020. California is burning down all around us. And like, how have I been complicit in creating the experience where these fires are out of control? Mm. And it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's such a powerful question because it's a question not many people really want to answer, right? To like actually understand that like I'm part of what I don't like. Ooh, that's not good. Right. <laughs> but you're not to blame. And I think that's the part where that becomes yeah. the, the easy part. It's like, okay, it's not my fault, but if I can get bigger on, then what could I be doing that could make it safer, right? I mean, you can't, I don't know if you can control lightning, if you got some skills like that, but you imagine like <laughs> all the other stuff behind the scenes, you know? So anyway, yeah. I just, yeah, that, that's a beautiful question that I think about. And I, yeah, I mean, it's one that's been in my mind lately. Beautiful. Where can people learn more about you and about your work? So I guess the best place, if they're on social media, we're um, at Ever Forward Club. So three words, at Ever Forward Club, which is uh, on, so on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. My is uh, Branch Speaks, and that's on uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter as well. If anyone wants to, wants to make a mask, if anybody's feeling uh, courageous to like, I want to see what this mask is all about, they go to 100kmasks.com. 100kmasks.com. That stands for 100,000 masks. That was our first uh, target goal. And uh, they can make a mask and they can, you know, recognize and see masks from around the world. So we're in our first version of that. And we're trying to be in lots of places, but that's the best way. Ever Forward Club's organization, they can find us on our website as well if they can do that. That's, that's amazing. And do you ever go into orgs and like help them go through this process? Yeah, we do workshop. That's, that's one of our biggest ways of bringing in revenue. We, most of our money doesn't come from grants. It comes from earned revenue of these workshops and, the, and doing this work. So we go in and now we're doing them all virtual. So we do a lot of virtual workshops and conferences and getting the word out. And so that's happening a lot this season as well. Can so, you learn more about that at 100kmasks.com? Uh, the best place for that, that's a, you know, this is a great question because I don't usually, I don't get asked this question a lot. So everforwardclub.org is the organization and everything else I said is on that site. So maybe I should have just said the one that's website, great. huh? Um, everforwardclub.org. They can get information from that. And, and I answer the phone. So with the phone number on there is probably going to be me, right? <laughs> you can continue the conversation. That's you like right. this? Just call Ashanti. You jamming. Right. You, you, you talk to Google Voice first, right? That's right. <laughs> you got to stream those. Stream, you know. Oh, that's great. Oh man, oh, this has been great, Ashanti. Really, really uh, wonderful to spend some time with you today. Thank you. Good to see you again. Oh, thanks for sharing your wisdom. Thank you to our producer, Counterweight Creative. To our executive producer, David Misney, and guest coordinators, Sydney Lee and Suzanne Haight. One of the easiest things you can do to help us spread the message of being and becoming your best self at work is to write a review on Apple Podcasts, or just share this episode's link on your favorite social media channel. If you have any questions or comments, please email me and Shane at podcast at 15.5.com. We'd love to hear from you. And finally, thank you. Thank you.